Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey, gang. I'm Mike, alongside Mark. You know, he played in the big leagues. I didn't. Our guest today, Dontrell Willis. And Mark, I got to tell you, man, when you dug into your Rolodex or your contact list and decided to go deep and grab a buddy in Dontrell, I was pumped. You know, we always talk about how we love guys who will captivate a room and grab your attention as a sports fan. Dontrell's the guy. That's exactly a, a great description. Uh, you think of Dontrell, uh, you think of energy, you think of charisma. Um, I am fortunate to now be a teammate after our playing days at Fox Sports 1 and also Fox on uh, MLB Whip Around. And we get to have that opportunity. Unfortunately, we have to put makeup on, which is uncomfortable for us. But you know what? This is, I'm a fan of the game, as you know, Mike, and Dontrell knows this too. When you're a fan of the game and you were involved at the time when Dontrell came into the game, there was a different energy. Uh, it was excitement. So there was uh, even being in San Diego and knowing that this youngster is coming in the, t- in the town and he's going to take baseball, baseball by storm. It, it really was uh, appealing to a lot of people that were fans of the game. Dontrell, got to bring you in, man. Welcome. Awesome. Thank you. I appreciate it. Re- really excited to be on, man. Buddy, one of the things that we found most fascinating about this is it's one thing to be a position player burst on the scene, but for my money, I think it's particularly cool when it's a pitcher because you get that four or five days of anticipation every turn through the rotation before the guy takes the mound. And 2003 was your marquee year. I mean, were you aware of all the fanfare going on around you at the time? It, you know, um, it, the whole thing's surreal as I look back on it. You know, I, I'm totally blessed to have uh, great teammates that cared about me. Um, the spring training going into 2003, uh, me and Miguel got a chance to be in big league camp. And that's a huge thing for a, a young prospect coming up just to be around the guys. Uh, I think my number was 76, so I knew I wasn't going to make the team. But uh, it was just fun to be around, and, and we had a hell of a spring training. So to be able to burst in on the scene, it was a lot of credit to my teammates because they made me feel very comfortable and, and just kept it just as simple as it was because once it got going, man, I mean, you saw, you know, conductor hats and train whistles and, and, and what have you and the energy in South Florida. And South Florida, that's one thing they have is a lot of energy once they jump on board. So it went from 10,000 to 20,000 to 30,000, which is a lot for, you know, Miami baseball. But it was just a fun and surreal ride, man. And, and I'll, I'll never forget it. Well, you're talking about Miguel Cabrera. You had a really good team in 2003 with the Marlins. And your year was absurd. Right. Man, you're talking about rookie of the year. You go to the postseason. You win a World Series. You're 21 in South Beach. It's ridiculous, <laughs> bud. But let's start at the beginning of all this. Walk us through getting the call, how you found out, who you told, everything around it. Oh, man. Um, that just brings a smile to my face thinking about this story because me and Miguel actually got a chance to talk about this. Um, we were actually coming off uh, in the middle of our road trip, coming from Jacksonville to Orlando, we have an off day. And in the minor leagues, that's like a celebration to be able to have an off day. So we're just trying to gather all our money together to try to get some Subway and some beer uh, and just enjoy our off day. So I think we're in uh, Randy Messenger's room at the time. And my phone was in uh, my room. And Miguel brings me my phone. And he's just like, man, your phone's blowing up. And I'm just like, what's going on? So, you know, I had a missed call from uh 
Derek Lee, a missed call from Brad Penny. I'm like, I hope everything's okay. So actually, as I have my phone in my hand, Brad Penny calls me. He's like, where the hell are you? I was like, well, obviously next to my phone. He's like, dude, you have to go to your room right now. So I just rushed to my room, uh, dropping beer out of my hand, by the way, and uh, talking to the front office. And they said, hey, man, you ready to uh, come to the big leagues? And that whole morning before that phone call, all of us were talking about this having that one chance to be able to go and get that call to the big leagues. So it was surreal. Um, I walked back into the room, one of the rooms where a lot of the teammates were, and I said, man, I'm getting called up, but I don't have any money. <laughs> so it was just surreal, and everyone just went crazy. And we had a lot of guys on our team like Josh Johnson, uh, Miguel Cabrera in AA, Chris Aguilar. So we had a really, really talented group of, of guys that felt like we were close to getting to the big leagues. But the joy and the energy in that room, I will never forget because everyone felt like they were being called up. So I really appreciated that moment in Orlando. And uh, that was history, man. But that was really, really a fun day just to experience that. Dontrell, when you think of that moment, it's it's very surreal and you can celebrate with your teammates, which that's that's your cup of tea. That's exactly how you are as a as a teammate. But also, there's a lot of other people involved. Who was the first person you talked to when you found out the news? And my mother. Family? Oh, my mother. My mother screamed through the phone. I, she didn't know what to do. She was trying to look on Southwest flights. I was like, that's going to be a tough flight from Oakland all the way to Florida on Southwest. But she, her energy level, she was just so sincerely proud. And uh, regardless of what your child is doing, when they finally get a chance to reach the pinnacle of what they're involved in, you know, it, there's no better feeling for that. But she was screaming and hollering and she had to call my auntie and everybody. And they actually got to Miami before I did. So they they were on their P's and Q's uh, just trying to be a part of that uh, uh, moment. But that was really, really surreal just to go to Miami and walk through the locker room and, and, and with my family and just see, you know, big league life for a day. But you, you walked into an interesting spot, too, because yeah. the team player wise was supposed to be really good, but you got off as a team in the big leagues to a, a less than stellar start to make a managerial change. In comes the kid, 21 years old, walking through there. What was the reaction like in particular uh, from the veterans? They were excited. I mean, they pushed for me, come to find out, to be called up. They asked um, a lot of the coaching staff, actually Del Torborg, he got fired after my start, so he was still there. He went around the locker room and asked Brad Penny and uh, Josh Beckett and A.J. Burnett and D-Lee, guys that were focal points of the team, uh, what do you think about calling Dontrell Willis or Nate Bump at the time up? And everyone said Dontrell Willis which was surreal to me because Nate Bunt was a veteran guy at the time in AAA doing well as, as well. So, but uh, they all backed me, man. So the energy level, once I walked to the locker room, it was all a bunch of hugs and smiles and Hallmark cards and, and what have you. So it really helped me ease into the situation of, of, of going against the Colorado Rockies, which were loaded at the time. Well, you start looking at it and you get the call and also you get the, the nod just to get a good start. Uh, that's May 9th. Yeah. And uh, against the Rockies, as you mentioned, what was that like? What were the nerves? What, what was going through your mind as you took them out? I made the mistake the night before of watching the game and looking at that lineup. I mean, Larry <laughs> Walker, Todd Helton, I mean, Preston Wilson, Castillo. I mean, these guys were still in their prime. I mean, every guy had 30 home runs, you know, 100 RBIs in their belt. 
and they whipped the Marlins the night before. So now I'm just shell-shocked. I'm like, there's no way I can throw a strike to these guys. So, you know, I get I get ready for warming up in the game. You know, there's not a lot of people in the stands, but I just remember the lights being really, really bright to me. You know, I mean, it's like, wow, this is the show. And I don't think I threw one strike warming up. <laughs> I was bouncing fastballs. Uh, I was just cutting off sliders. And I remember Carl Bravado told me, hey, relax. And usually in, in someone warming up, especially a starter, no one talks to the starter. They just let him do his thing. But they can tell I was fighting the emotion of just being up there. And Carl Bravado, with his big body self, just walks up and literally says, Trell, relax. Just go out there and have fun. So, you know, that was just a testament to how they felt about me. And, you know, being out there and being a helping hand and just easing my way into the game. Look, we appreciate the humility, but let's not kid ourselves. You know who was on that Rockies team in 03 that you were scared of? Oh, they were loaded. Sweeney. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Was he on the bench? Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. I, I knew I wasn't going to stay in the game long enough to face him, though. So I, I well, knew I was just going to get my little five and dive and get up out of there real fast. So I, I also knew that. I also knew train that uh, left on left wasn't happening too many times <laughs> off the bench. So that was a safety net. Yeah. But uh, honestly, what I, I go back to that moment and you're aware of new players in the game. And, and that's, that's exciting for people that are going through what's, what's going on. But also I thought it was a good matchup for you because of Helton and, and Walker being left-handed. You mentioned Preston Wilson the former Marlin, but also, you know, that left on left, that's a good challenge for you to meet. And your personality meets that exactly. What was that like facing both of those guys for the first time? I believe was Larry Walker, my first strikeout. He yelled at me my (laughs) first, like the first at bat, because I was working so fast and he just yelled at me and knowing him now, he's just trying to intimidate me because he's like, this kid is all over the place. You know, I sailed one under his chin and then I threw one on the black and those veterans, they just, they just don't like that. That's really an uncomfortable at bat. And so I'm working this a mile a minute and he yelled at me to stop and the umpire didn't say anything. So I'm looking like the umpire's not going to stop me if this man comes out here and beats me with this bat, you know? So, but uh, no, you're right. I, I felt comfortable against the teeth of the lineup, especially the left-handed guys and, and Todd Helton till this day, every time I, I, I get a chance to talk to him, he's like, I had absolutely no chance. Well, I said, you know, I didn't know where the ball was going. So it's tough to, to scout a guy when he doesn't know where the hell, hell the ball's going. So, but uh, it, you're right. I think the matchup helped me. But um, once I gave him a home run to Preston Wilson, this weird calming effect was like, okay, now I'm here. This is the big leagues. If you make a mistake, you get hurt, but you have this stuff to be able to compete. So it was weird. Once I gave up the home run, it, it kind of settled me into the game. Uh, well, I like that aspect because if you talk to every player, it's that moment that you feel like you belong, but you're also there. And it's a calming effect because then you start realizing this is the game I've always played and, right. and I'm just going to go out there and compete. Well, competing is your next start. You get your first win against the San Diego Padres. What do you remember about that start and that feeling that you got to win in the big leagues? I struggled mightily. I was just, you know, the Padres had a a quiet, sneaky, good team. 
and they just worked the count on me, fouled off good pitches. I actually appreciated that start a little bit more because it was just a mental grind as well as a physical grind. I think I threw like 100 pitches in five innings. We had to lead early, and they were just trying to fight to just give me this win for me just to kind of get my feet wet. And once I got five innings, I ran off that mound and gave that ball to Jack McKean. I didn't want any part of the Padres after that game. But I remember getting that win, and uh, Mike Lowell comes up to me and says, all right, only 299 more can you get to the hall so it, it was just it was just cool to be be able to experience that and I, I believe I still have my scorecard from the, the first win so just battling veteran teams and learning how to compete at that level I think was key for me especially in that start you know Dontrell it's funny you say you, you ran off the mound basically throwing the ball <laughs> to Jack McKeon there were a lot of people who wanted to run from Jack McKeon Oh, no he joke. was a pretty imposing character. And here you are, 21 years old. Uh, how did he receive you, your style and charisma? How did that go over with him? He saw that I worked my tail off. You know, I was this guy that you saw in the stadium stands running with the Walkman. And back then there was uh, they didn't have the no skip thing. So I had to literally hold the Walkman in front of me so it wouldn't skip with the CD and what have you. So, you know, he he always saw me working. And I think he he had an enduring factor with me because I was willing to listen and be coachable. And, you know, Jack, he has managed half of baseball. I mean, he's managed everyone, all stars, you know, journeymen, it didn't matter. But the one thing he stressed in his locker room was hard work and dedication. I think he saw that in me. So I remember the one time I walked off the mound and I, I must've dropped the ball or I didn't handle the ball. He must have. I've never seen an old man sprint so fast back in that dugout. And he grabbed me by the arm and said, don't you ever do that. And I felt like I was getting scolded by my grandfather. So it was a it was a moment for me where I appreciate it. But I told him, I said, sir, I didn't mean to do that. I was just so upset about the start. So I think he had a lot of love for me and a lot of appreciation. And obviously we got him a ring, but he was a really, really good man and a really smart baseball mind. You really call him, sir? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Yeah, always. Jack Jack would, listen, he would demand respect. I mean, a couple of times he fell asleep on the bench, but he always knew what was going on, <laughs> you know, with his cigars and what have you. But, you know, a, a man, to me, I'm all about respect and appreciation for people that, that played the game and been around the game that long. So I always called him sir. So, yeah, he kind of loves that. Uh, Dontrell, your run in that 2003 year was was so remarkable. You're starting to build up this head of steam, so you pick up your first win. You run off eight straight winning decisions going into the All-Star break. You're 5-0 and through June. Your first All-Star game. Did you think you might pitch, or did you think you'd just go as a meet and greet? And how did you even find out you were elected? Uh. You know, that run and until this day, you know, I still have people from South Florida come up to me and appreciate and tell me how much they appreciate that. It was all a blur. And, and like we talked about before the show, you know, it was like overnight where all of a sudden you saw conductor hats and train whistles. And, you know, I'm going to a grocery store and somebody's whistling a train thing. I'm like, where the hell did you get that from? You know, so it, it, it was fun to see the club and the fans just gravitate. Uh, and we started playing better. That was the one thing I cared about. I think everybody else just kind of as a locker room jumped on board and said, hey, man, this kid's still in our shine. We got to show that we got to show and prove that we can play in the big leagues. And I think everyone kind of jumped on that. So it was it was fun. But the All-Star Game call, I actually got a call in Montreal uh, from Kevin Brown. And Kevin Brown says, I'm not going. I, I think you deserve to go. And at this year, they weren't taking rookies 
to the All-Star game. I think Rocco Bardelli had a big year. Big Hurt was really at the forefront in Chicago talking about rookies shouldn't be in the big leagues. I always mess with Big Hurt to this day about that because I work with him now at Fox, you know. But uh, so it was a it was a true honor to be able to represent my my team and this being, you know, the young guy and the upstart, especially in Chicago. But I didn't think I was going to play. I was warming up late in the ball game. Uh who was, I think Eric Gagne was warming up next to me. It's like, there's no chance I'm getting in the game. Eric Gagne is warming up. You know what I mean? So it was just fun to be able to have a chance to warm up and, and, and see my family in an all-star game. When you start looking at it, D-Train, uh, it, the New York Mets are in your division. And you're going from South Florida. You're going up to New York. You, your, your first start in the Big Apple. What was that like? Because it, it, it turns it up a notch. You almost right. feel that atmosphere in your own division, and it's very different than South Florida. Not to take anything away from that down there because you guys were creating it, right. but individually stepping into the Big Apple for the first time, what was that like for you? Man, I felt like, you know, like the great ones, like when they go to Madison Square Garden, like this is <laughs> this is the Mecca, like this is it. If you can't play in Boston, if you can't play in Chicago at Wrigley Field or New York, and this is old shape. So they had rats that weren't scared of humans. I mean, this is this is the same place where you saw the Miracle Mets win. So it was really cool to just be able to walk through that locker room and just get that old New York feel. Uh, I remember going to the field on the subway. I believe it's the seven train with Juan Pierre and the fans is looking at us, you know, they're like, I can't believe they take the subway. I'm like, well, Juan's cheap. So that's why we took the subway. <laughs> but, uh, you know, but it, it was just fun to be able to play. And, and they have, they always had competitive, good ball clubs and the energy was there and, and the fans were there. So I always wanted to show out in New York. So, you know, I'm not like uh, Chase Utley as far as the Met killer, but uh, I used to whip him pretty good up in New York. Hey, what's a, what was a night out with Dontrell Willis like? At Very 21 cold. years old, riding this wave. <laughs> what was that like? Take us there. Um, uh, you know, I, you know, I'm a kid in the candy store, man. So, you know, I'm, I'm the same way I've always been as far as, you know, when you approach me, I've always got a sincere smile. And, you know, South Florida, they love a winner, man. So once that run came, it was like, I remember me and Juan, we always laugh about it. The first time I got called up, we tried to go out on South Beach and they stood us outside the whole night. They would not let us in. Fast forward two, two months later, now they want us to host parties and all this. You know, it went that fast. And, and the energy level was crazy. And I think for the people of South Florida, they were just really happy to be recognized on the forefront because they get a bad rap even to this day about not participating and going to the stadium. But as far as the TV goes, they all watch the games at home and they're all, you know, into the ball game and into the fans and, and, and into the team as well. So it was a crazy run. But what I could remember, it was a good time. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I bet. You know what? We're, we keep referring to you as D-Train, and I feel like <laughs> a lot of fans forget your name is actually Dontrell. But I read something. You tell me if this is true. I read that when someone gave you this nickname, you didn't like it, and it was uncomfortable for you. But it fits now so well. Most people don't know you as 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 Dontrell anymore. Right. Was that, is that a true story? Did you not like it when you first got it? Very true. Um, in the midst of this, you know, the run I had, um, AJ Burnett, you know, he was out for the year, you know, he had Tommy John surgery, but he was still like a captain and, and a big presence in the locker room. And uh, he comes in while the media is talking to me, he said the D train and everybody turns around. And I was like, is he talking to me? He's like, yeah, man, you're the D train. And I was like, why are you calling me that? And he's like, man, we're going to go as far as you take us. 
And I get goosebumps just telling that story because he sincerely meant that. And it was just a fun ride after that. And then for me, I just wanted to run through a wall once he said that for everybody in that locker room, you know, but you're right. I don't like being singled out. I'm a team guy. You know, I'm an only child. So, you know, I like to play with people and, and, and gravitate and just be one of the guys. But to see all the what you're talking about, Willis signs and the conductor hats and stuff, you know, and all of a sudden the Marlins are selling a ticket package. I did not like that. So I went to Jeff Conine and I said, Niner, man, they, they got me signing balls all day and this ticket package. And, and once he got on the team late in the year, he, he went up to the front office and told him and said, hey, man, this kid just wants to play baseball. Just let him allow him to play baseball. And uh, once Mr. Marlin says that, you know, it was smooth sailing after that. D-Train, when you look at it, uh, it's easy to slip into talking about uh, the delivery, pitching. Uh, but let's be honest here. Uh, pitchers who rake. And why I say that to you is that I absolutely love athleticism at the pitching position. And it's both sides, especially the National League. Very biased because I spent my whole career in the National League. But you had to help yourself. Nine career home runs. And take us back to that first home run and your feeling because you took a lot of pride when you put that bat in your hands. You know, Danny Graves, you know Danny. He's yeah. the best. Danny, and the year they had him starting, you know, and credit to him, he just wanted to do whatever it took for the team to win. But he's not a starter. He's a closer. You know, he's a late-inning mm-hmm. guy. And they had him starting. And to be honest with you, I was going to swing at whatever he threw up their first pitch. And he just threw a ball up in the zone. And I went out of right, which is which is a big part, especially in, in, in South Florida. But I hit that ball and I knew I squared it up, but I ran like it was going to be a triple. And once it went over and I heard the kids, I actually uh, gave a little Barry Bonds and pointed up to the skies like, oh, your career one home run, you know, take it easy, rookie, you know. But it was just fun, man, to just come around third base and, and you know, everyone was just laughing and they said, you know, just keep getting your foot down. But I always try to use that as a part of my game to just try to energize the team if they see a pitcher working hard, uh, diving all over the place, taking the extra base, playing the game right, it really galvanizes a guy and really be able to turn over the game and, and get a victory for your club. Yeah, people talk about your delivery and your unique delivery that you had on the mound. But, I, I mean, the big leg kick, uh, <laughs> the triple speed. You talk about triples. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that, that was a staple in your offensive repertoire. You know, and I wish it wasn't. <laughs> you know, I wish it wasn't sometimes. But I, I just love competing. You know, we, we we play a lot of golf together, Celine. You know how it is. If I hit yeah. one in the trees, it's like that's your fourth one in the trees. I'm still still I'm still upset though. You know, I, I love <laughs> yeah. going out there and just having a good time and, and, and battling and, and enjoying the game. But you know, it's just me. It, it, it's just me. I just love going out there and competing and, and, and seeing the best players compete against each other. So we've been very blessed to to say we've been some of the best players in the world. So you're ripping through this 2003 season. Honestly, statistically, it doesn't look like anything could go wrong. It seemed like you were in a bubble. Then the team becomes this bubble-like team. You become a juggernaut. And McKeon at the helm turns this thing around along with all your help. And you get to the postseason. Right. Let me remind people listening, you're still just 21 years old at this point. What was it like and what's the difference in your mind between getting that first postseason appearance as opposed to everything else you experienced leading up to it? The one thing I wish for every ball player, and I say this a lot, is 
I wish for every single ball player in the big leagues to make it to the postseason. Everyone is sharper. There's this energy that comes over you. Um, and if you're not mentally ready to play, you will get run over. You saw that last year in the playoffs when the Cardinals came down to Atlanta and scored about 14 runs against them. If you're not ready to go out there and compete at the highest level, you will be in trouble. And I think I think fatigue set in for me where I started to struggle. I felt tired. Um, but no excuse. I, you know, I just was mentally not ready to go out there and compete, especially against a Cubs team where they're trying to win the World Series for the first time in 100 years. You know, this is a team that's a talented ball club and they wore me out. So uh, I was praying that if we got a chance to get to the World Series, I was going to get a chance to redeem myself and we were able to do that. But like I said, I, I take all, you know, I never take L's. I just take lessons. So it was a good lesson to, to go through that because it made me a better ball player. You know, you, you mentioned the struggles you had in your couple of starts versus mm. the Giants and the Cubs, but it looked like you found your your role in the World Series. You come out of the pen, you were really, really good. In three appearances, you don't give up a run. Was the conversation, though, difficult? Uh, and what was that like when you heard from the front office or your manager, hey, you know what? We're thinking maybe the bullpen in the World Series. Heck no, because <laughs> I wanted because I wanted to shake hands, and it's like train. You just don't have it right now. But you know, on that flight to go to New York, and Jack never gets up on a flight. He gets up and he's walking down the aisle, and it's almost like the teacher checking on a test. Everyone's kind of looking like who's he about to talk to. So he comes to me and he says, "Hey, we're still going to use you out of the bullpen. We want to turn Posada around, and we want you to go up against Giambi." And just that having that conversation meant that he still believed in me and I was just ready to play. And, you know, I'm the first one in game one to come out of the bullpen, you know, and that whole thing, I, I'm ready to play, but I'm just feeling the game. And, you know, that phone rings in the bullpen, you know, the game is tight. It's I think it's three to two. And I hear Willis. And the first thing I say is what? <laughs> and so, you know, everybody, even Jack McKean, I could see him stand on the top step and he's like, hurry up. And I throw seven pitches in the bullpen, none of them close. And all of a sudden, I see Jack point to the bullpen with his left arm. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm in this game, game one, you know, of the World Series. And I'm running from that monument. And the only thing I could think of is, please don't trip with 50 million people. Not thinking of the hitter, not thinking <laughs> of the situation. All I'm thinking about is, do not trip. Everyone in the world is watching this. Just go out there. And I get up to the mound. And Jack McKeon just looks at me, looks at Giambi, well, go get him. And it's like, here you are. Like, you're just in the ball game. And is this another game? So, and uh, I think in the World Series, that was the hardest I threw the whole year. I was thinking I was like 95 to 96. And even Pudge was like, wow, calm down. I'm like, calm down. This is the World Series. So <laughs> it, it was just fun, man. And, and I, I, I'm really blessed and really appreciative to be a part of something like that. It was really fun. Well, you think about a D-Train, the ultimate gift, right? And it happens your first year, as Mike talk, talked about, getting that World Series victory against the New York Yankees. Right. And just the feeling and the accomplishment of what you go through with your teammates is extra special. But also, the signifying that victory is that World Series ring. Take us to that, because that had to be one of those moments where you realized, man, you know what? What a wild ride I had as a 21-year-old. <sighs> you, you know, 
where is that thing at? I think it's in my drawer. But every time I pull oh, stop. that thing it's out, right there in front of you. Right? <laughs> Who are you pulling? You know what, though? I, I Honestly, I don't go anywhere cool enough to wear it. Like, no one wants to see a World Series ring at Chick-fil-A. So, you know, what I mean? <laughs> now you're just a jerk. You know what I mean? So, no, you, there, there's certain places that you can wear that. But you're, you're absolutely right, man. Like, I remember when we were just jumping on the field in New York. And, you know, for the city that doesn't sleep, it was quiet. It took a nap. Like, they couldn't believe that this ragtag, bad uniform, teal-wearing group came into New York and stole a title from them. You know, I mean, they thought it was in the bag, you know. So it was just surreal. And me and Miguel just jumped and hugged on each other because we remembered that we were in double-A riding from Zebulon, North Carolina, eating peanut butter and jelly. And, you know, all of a sudden now we're winning a World Series in the same year. So it it, it was really surreal to be there, uh, seeing our fam- friends and family just overjoyed for the situation. And, I mean, you think of the three teams we beat. We beat the Giants, we beat the Cubs, and we beat the Yankees. I mean, if you ask any baseball player, you know, there's not too many other teams that you get a chance to win against, especially in that fashion. So uh, it was really fun. It was really fun. Let's be honest, too, Train. Uh, I mean, isn't it cool to get the meal money packets on the road? And then also, when you win the World Series, uh, December 1st, I think it is, right around, you you open that mailbox and you get a big check that comes and says, you know what? These are World Series champions, but I can actually do some of these things with all the money that I'm getting right now. The meal money, that was the first thing. I got called up May 9th. I think Miguel got called up a month later. The first thing he says is, Negro, the meal money. I'm like, yeah, right, a hundred dollars a day, and like, you know, and us as youngsters, we're still eating that Wendy's, so we got a lot of meal money to be left over to do what we want to do, you know. So I kept a lot of those packets around, especially from Mama. So you know, hopefully I'm not talking too loud, but uh, you know, that's that uh, shares check was unreal. Um, I believe I cleared more winning the World Series than I did making the whole year my rookie year. That's how much the shares check was. And so I I think it's gone up and up and up since 2003, obviously. But, uh, you know, for a 21-year-old to get a check at his mom's house, by the way, uh, for $280,000, you know, (laughs) that's surreal. Like, you know, that's Mm -hmm. surreal. I'm still sleeping on my mom's couch, you know, going back home. So uh, I stopped sleeping on my mom's couch after I got that check, though. That's for sure. I'm sure like most 21-year-old men, you took the money, you invested it prudently. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what did you do with it do you remember do you remember uh, what you spent it on? I, I know i i know i gave gave my mom a lot i, I bought a money green mustang <laughs> a money go. green mustang and you know what and i don't know why i got this horrid color but right when i walked up i just said i have to have i have to buy something that lets everyone know that the rookie of the year is here it's a V6 Mustang. <laughs> you know, that's money green with tan seats. But, uh, you know, that was my one gift to me. And then the rest of the money I just gave to my family. So because I was still sleeping on the couch. But Dontrell, I, I got to tell you, it's nice to hear you tell this story. It's also nice to hear Mark Sweeney smiling because when you say World Series and you say Yankees, yeah. it doesn't <laughs> sit well with my boy. That hurt. Yeah, that was a 98 <laughs> problem that he had when the uh, Padres ran into a buzzsaw out there. So it was cool And that Padres see. team was loaded too. Yeah. That Padres, you know, every time I see both, you know, and obviously he's got some hardware now and so he deserved that. That team was fun. And they were like the Marlins. It was the upstart, you know what I mean? But they were talented, you know, and you never thought a team from San Diego, especially 
especially my generation, you know what I mean, would come out. But the way they had Kevin Brown and everyone else, man, it, it was fun to watch those guys. Yeah, yeah, you, you, mentioned, you mentioned the Kevin Brown aspect of it. When you have somebody like that, you guys had Josh Beckett, other guys at the top of the rotation, that you start feeling confident. It doesn't matter what everyone else has. It, 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 but the big thing, Train, is that you win the World Series, and then you know some of the accolades come in, and, and right. you were – very deserving of that rookie of the year, but also very close to winning that Cy Young. Uh, speak to that and that type of story when you started getting those awards. You know, uh, it man, that rookie of the year was really, really cool because uh, I was the Marlins' first rookie of the year. So, you know, this, this knocking down barriers for the club, um, I always mention my teammates. So I feel like they took a part of it, which they did, you know, just looking out for me, you know, and even like the, the, the Mark and the Mike Redmond's, you know, guys on the bench, they really took pride in just telling me, you know, how to do this the right way. Don't do this, you know, uh, stay humble, you know, keep working hard because, you know, when you run off wins like that in the big leagues, I don't care if you're a veteran or not, you start to smell yourself. But I just remember, you know, winning that award, but appreciating, you know, serving beer and, and McDonald's to all the veterans on the plane. They always kept me humble. You know what I mean? And so, you know, I credited my teammates for continuing to stay on me because it takes a whole year. This doesn't take, you know, a month or two. It took a whole year. And I remember the last start I had was the last day of the season. Uh, we already clinched the night before, but everyone in the locker room was like, we got to get trained 14 wins because that will get them rookie of the year. So everyone half drunk, <laughs> actually, after celebrating, mm -hmm. got up for me and, and got me an early lead. And, and it meant so much. And it was just a testament of how they felt about me, because I don't know with that headache I had. I would have took a day off from bitching my damn self. But it was, it, 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 you know, those accolades, when I look at them now, you know, I think of the experiences I have with my teammates. Train, being around you, you always give back to the community. And there's certain things that you can do around the ballpark that a lot of fans don't understand is that signing autographs, right. you, you get cards in the mail, and, and you have to take care of it. An interesting aspect to a player, and I would love to hear your take on this, is that first rookie card. And I know there's a lot of baseball cards right. around now. These minor leaguers get you know, 15, 20 before they even make it to the big leagues. <laughs> uh, but it was different back in the day when you were getting there. Do you remember that first rookie card? And, and how did you feel about that uh, understanding? It almost takes you back to a youth. And, and I didn't know if you collected cards, but that feeling that you had as a rookie. Uh, you know, it's so funny. I get asked that a lot because the rookie card is actually, they have two types of them. One's in a, a Teal Marlins jersey, but I never wore the Teal Marlins jersey. They just put that on me. You know what I mean? Oh, so, wow. and, and, and the second one is a cool, like, hologramic type card. Um, I thought about well, every time I saw that card, I was like, dang, I made it, man. That's dope. Like, you know what I mean? Because we all collected cards growing up. You know what I mean? And, and you know, I was a fan of the Oakland A's and the Giants, so I had Dave Stewart cards. You know, I, I've had, you know, Carney Lansford Will Clark, you know, card. So to see myself on a card and, and to see people hand me that card and be joyful that I signed it, it is pretty, it's pretty remarkable. So I, I, I've never lost sight of that feeling till this day. I'm surprised people know where I live because I'm still getting cards sent to my house. But, <laughs> you know, I'm always appreciative that someone wants a, a, a signature from me. No doubt. No doubt 2003 was a year for the ages. And I think every fan um, is smiling right now, reliving what was a run for you in that club in 03. A really good year 
no argument there. Right. In addition to you being rookie of the year, your manager, uh, Jack McKean, manager of the year, you win the World Series. But 2005, Dontrell, was really your best season statistically. Now, right. team accolades aside, but statistically, you were 22 and 10 in 2005 with an ERA just a tick over two and a half, like a 2 6 so. And you're 23 years old, but being a 20 game winner, I don't care what the sabermetricians say right now. Right. <laughs> that's still really significant. What did it mean to you at the time? Uh, the world, because again, the Marlins, they never had a 20 game winner. Um, you know, I got a chance to be part of a, a club called the Black Aces that Mudcat Grant uh, started. Uh, it's a, a club where, you know, all African-Americans that have won 20 games, you know, from Ferguson Jenkins to Gibson to CeCe Zabathia, they're a part of. Um, and I, I really think it's a, a testament to this. My teammates playing really, really hard for me and running through a wall for me every time I got on that mound. And that was my one Kevin Brown year where I felt like every time I got on the mound, I was going to win this game. I lost 10 games. I can't tell you 10 games that I lost. I can't tell you one game out of those 10 losses that I lost. Like, I felt like I could just command the baseball and be efficient all day long. And the crowd just rallied around me because now we're at the, the national forefront where, you know, I'm in a race with Chris Carpenter. So they're, they're you know, they're leading us off on Sports Center. How did I do my start and how did he do? So for the fans aspect of it, they loved it because, you know, South Florida kind of takes a back seat until something really, really great happens. But, you know, for me, man, I felt like LeBron in South Florida. They was loving it. They were just loving every time I was on the mound. Like, just the energy and the fans were coming out in waves. And so it was just fun to be a part of that and, and say I've done it once. That success took you to your second All-Star game, which was uh, your first appearance. You finally get into that game. What do you remember about your second All-Star? And did you feel a little more calmness than the first time? No, you never feel calm in that. <laughs> That's why you always have messed up numbers and some guys do well and some guys get lit up. I remember that there's two parts of this story. Um, Jimmy Rollins, a guy I grew up with, we're from the same neighborhood. He was behind me at shortstop. So to see our families just hugging each other while we're behind each other and, and playing, that was really surreal for our neighborhood. But uh, Mark Teixeira takes me deep in a home run. Gives back, we get back to the hotel and I, I, I get to the bar and Mark is hugging my mother and they're just laughing, <laughs> carrying on. I'm like, do you, do you have no sympathy? You take me deep and then you, you're hugging on my mother and you buy my mother drinks. I mean, it's just, it's just, that's a true story. But um, just to be a part of that, man, and seeing the joy in Detroit and everybody having a good time, it was really, really a fun experience. But every time I see Mark, I say, keep your hands off my mother, man. So it, it, was, it was really a fun day. Don't don't act like that's not an OG move right there. <laughs> that's a that is an OG move. I just I'm just mad I didn't do it first. You right. Know? But, that uh, was gonna no, say it was definitely a classic move. Absolutely. Thanks for having your son. Yeah, I appreciate yeah. it. Adding my statistics. <laughs> Enjoy this beef eater and beef. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So 05, a, another great year for you. I mean, you're 23. At that point. Are you starting to think at all that this is just how it is for me in the big leagues? This is how it's going to always be. I'm going to be this effective. I'm going to be part of these championship teams. Uh, in the moment, can you remember how you felt? No, because, you know, pitching in that heat in South Florida, it's a dogfight. <laughs> you know, I wish we had that San Diego weather, you know what I mean? But pitching in South Florida, it was a fight. Um, 
And being on the Marlins, it was always a fight for respect and appreciation. You know what I mean? I, I think a lot of fans got caught up this, you know, with our lack of fans, you know, especially in our stadium and our uniforms, and they really didn't respect us. So it was always a battle, especially me being the captain of the team, you know, at the time, you know, to be be appreciated, you know, amongst the masses. So it, it never felt like that. And I'll, I'm always a guy that just takes one thing at a time, you know, one day at a time, being appreciative. You know, I come from uh, my mom's a welder. She's a foreman now, and she's always stressed about this, you know, taking situations one day at a time and appreciating the moment because you never know what will happen tomorrow. So, you know, I, I never was big headed in that sense, but it was fun to be able to ride the wave. It probably, I would imagine uh, that type of grounding set you up for handling the mental rigors and the grind of the game because after 05, you spent another season in, in, in Florida, right. uh, but then you're traded to right. Detroit. And right. even though you were initially drafted by the Cubs before going to the Marlins, this is going to be now your first experience in another big league uniform. Right. And anybody can take a casual look at statistics and say, well, it didn't go as well as he would have liked, but we're not you. Right. What was it like for you making that move to Detroit? You know, me and Miguel initially didn't want to go. You know, all we know is the Marlins. <laughs> you know what I mean? And we're comfortable in our skin. And we felt like we had a talented team. But for me, it was just overwhelming. And I just wanted to play to the contract. And I just tried way too hard. I remember I came out of the bullpen my first start against the White Sox. And the whole stadium just cheered. And that ruined me. Because now I'm like, I just want to be, you know, Cy Young. I want to be Norris. I want to be all these things rolled up into one. And, you know, it just got in my head. And, and the harder I fought, the worse it got. And it was one of those situations where you feel like you're in quicksand. So, you know, I mean, as much as I tried, I just kept battling and battling and the worse it got. And I'm the type of guy where, you know, I take that type of stuff home, you know what I mean? And, and, and want to do better and, and, and doing towel drills in my living room. And once you see a guy doing hacks or towel drills in the living room, he's done. Like, you know, he's done mentally because he's so far into his own being that he can't compete. And when you're battling yourself, there's no way you can beat the opposition. And that's what happened. And then they demoted me and sent me all the way to A-ball. And, and that was just terrible mentally. But I, I, I tried to humble myself. I wouldn't say try. I did as far as working hard for the people that were working with me, that took the time to want to get me right and wanted to get me back to the big leagues. I felt like I owed them something. But it just wasn't a good fit and, and, and for me. And, and that happens in sports. But you know, the lesson is like, you know, appreciate things when they're good because it could turn on you in a heartbeat and uh, all the money in the world. And I was making a lot of money at that time. It wasn't worth what I went through, especially in Detroit. And, I, and I'm being honest and, and I'm not saying I wasn't appreciative of the contract, but when you're making $12 million and you don't want to get to the field, you're lost. You know, you're done. You, you, you don't have the love. You don't have the compassion for the game that you need to have to be successful. D-Train, when you think of struggles, um, it reminds everybody that's played this game because everything's not perfect. We right. all go through struggles. We all know that. But it's also being able to talk about them. And when you're discussing that, uh, I, I fast forward in my career thinking of the struggles I had in a Dodger uniform. And my manager was Joe Torrey. And it was magnified that I was struggling because it was Joe Torrey, the respect I had for him. Right. You also were there in, Deter in Detroit with Jim Leland, who right. had uh, the feeling of what was 
baseball and that old guard and knowing that he was so good. You had Jack McCann before, but Jim Leland was there as your manager. How did that make you feel? Did it magnify it at all? Or was he very helpful in that, in that direction? It magnified it because he's a hard-nosed guy. And so he, he only knows tough love, you know what I mean? That, but he's a savant as far as knowing the game and knowing how to pull the best out. But I it would have been better for me if the team was doing well. We were all underachieving as far as the, the talent level we had in that locker room. You know what I mean? We had Gary Sheffield, Justin Verlander, you know, Jeremy Bonderman in his prime. Like, this team is supposed to contend. Curtis Granderson, you know, Joel Zamaya, you know, they're just coming off, you know, losing in the, the championship, I mean, in the World Series. So this is a team that's supposed to go out there and do well, and, and we all struggled. So everyone was looking at, oh, well, D-Train sucks. He sucks. So it, it really kind of turned into a toxic situation for me because I'm kind of trying to look for people to to, to rely on. But Miguel was this in, in, in another mental state where, you know, obviously he's one of the greatest hitters of all time. So, you know, his, his 0 for 7 is not the same as me walking seven guys. You know what I mean? So his struggle, if he had any, was a little bit different. So it was tough to really relate to guys in that situation. You know, it's interesting you say that because we've read several quotes from Jim Leland over the years since your time in Detroit. And every time he's asked about you, he speaks so highly of you. And it's almost as though he's personally heartbroken for how it went there. Right. What's that mean to you, that level of caring from a man who is not in any way uh, obligated to feel that way for a player who's underneath him? Um. I was a phenomenal teammate in the midst of all that. And and he'll tell you, and that's probably one of the greatest honors I've ever had is him saying that he said, Dontrell was always on the bench rooting for his team, always wanting to root for his teammates, always pulling from every single day. And I was, you know, in the midst of the struggles, you know, I kind of just wanted to just say, Hey man, you know, this is, is what it is, but I'm still a phenomenal teammate. And, and Mark will tell you, you know, we talk a lot about baseball and what guys did, but the first thing that comes out of people's mouth is what kind of guy is he? <laughs> you know what I mean? What kind of guy is he? Is he a good guy? Is he a good locker room guy? Is he a guy that's a nuisance in the locker room? Is he, is he a guy that pouts when he struggles? And I just never wanted to see that. I just never wanted to feel that because I understood my struggles, but I didn't want the team to struggle. So when I saw guys doing well and, and the fans cheering, um, it was fun for me. So uh, I really appreciate that. Um, every time I get get a chance to run into him, he gives me that endearing hug. So I believe that. Uh, and uh, he's proud of what I've done after leaving Detroit and, and now being on TV. Wait, I mean, your, your track record is truly extraordinary. And your mental strength is evident even today when we're talking to you. You traded to Arizona in 2010. Uh, 2011, though, an interesting year for you. And mm-hmm. I say that because... You're with the Cincinnati Reds organization. You get called up. And from all the accounts that I've read, this was a truly significant moment to you personally here on what turns out to be the back end of your career. Why was that the case? I mean, starting off in that, uh, Dusty Baker, you know, I've I've known Dusty since I was a child. His wife and my aunt were really good friends. And he gave me a call saying he was going to give me a chance to go out and, uh, you know, be a part of the club, but they wanted to work with me the whole off season. So 
Guys that have had the yips have never made it back to the big leagues. So this is a this is an organizational project that he he talked to Walt Jockey, uh, Walt Jockey. I'm sorry, um, and he said he was all for it. So I literally had to humble myself and learn re learn how to throw a baseball and that was very tough you know I'm at a park where kids are swinging you know what I mean and, and playing and, and, and doing that and I'm throwing and you know I got a chance to, the, the, to make the club and I almost did uh struggled the last two starts the Padres beat up on me and got me sent down by the way but uh you know they were still just proud that I was able to compete at, at a big league level so going to triple a um, working my tail off with Aroldis Chapman and guys like that, Johnny Cueto. So it was a lot of us down there working on things, and we kind of gravitated with each other. And uh, once I got a chance to get called up to the big leagues, man, that was probably one of my proudest moments in, in my career because, it, you know, no one's ever gotten back to the big leagues once they developed the yips. Dontrell, one of the interesting aspects is having to answer yourself and yourself questions, going through the struggles you did, also the many successes, and you start realizing it's more of that mental aspect that I have to finish, but also physically, you start realizing the taxing moments as well. Did, was there a point when you felt like, you know what, I think this is enough? And, and when was that point and how did it make you feel? I was in spring with the uh, Brewers. Uh, might have been thirteen. I can't remember, but I, you know, I I was hurt the whole time. I battled my tail off this to even be able to get that job, and I really just couldn't get comfortable. It was something going on with my arm, and I threw a bullpen, and I felt like I threw you know a really really good bullpen, and they had uh, a couple of their prospects come up after me and they threw the ball a hundred miles an hour. I think it was Canable, I think, threw the ball. And I saw it's two of his fastballs and I was like, I don't have that anymore. <laughs> you know, and this kid lives at a hundred miles an hour. So I, I you know walking from those poles, I literally just picked up my uniform, sat in my locker, took a deep breath and said, I'm done. And it and I was at peace with it. You know what I mean? It's like because it was a situation where I looked around the locker room and it's like I don't hold a candle to anybody in this locker room, whether they're a young prospect or they're a veteran. I just don't think I could play the game how I want to play at the level I need to play. So I called mama uh, on the phone. I was driving up to 17. I said, hey, we're going to go out to dinner tonight. She's like, why? I was like, well, I just retired. And she just was silent for a little bit. And she obviously knows all the struggles I've been through. And we talked and we we're real close about it. And she was like, I'm just so proud of you. And I said, oh, I appreciate it. Well, I'm a little hungry right now. So I'm going to stop at this Waffle House over here off Thunderbird. And then I'll be home in a little bit to celebrate. But it was that moment where I saw those fastballs from those young guys where I'm like, oh, the game is finally past me. So it's fun to see those guys do well in the big leagues now because I, I, I remember seeing that and saying, nah, I don't have that. The interesting question that you have uh, posed to you next is, what is next? Uh, for me, it, it was that opportunity to take a step back and realize what you went through. And I think that's important as a player. But you've had an opportunity to not only have a family and four beautiful daughters Thank you. to raise. That is important. And a lot of people say, you know what, I want to spend time with my family. There's also a void that you have to fill. And you've had a couple opportunities. I know pitching coach was, was yeah. an opportunity for you, but you've chosen broadcasting and being a teammate, as I mentioned at the beginning, 
This is Major League Beginnings, the, the name of the show. Right. This was another beginning for you. What was that like in, in taking on another challenge that, you know what, there's people in your ear, you have makeup mm-hmm. on, you have to speak clearly, but you also got to know that I'm showing the passion of all the people, all the names that you mentioned today, right. and you learn from, and that comes out. Why did you choose that, and what was that void like? Uh those three weeks when I was retired were the most like the scariest three weeks of my life. You know, you drop the kids off at school and all of a sudden I'm watching cops at nine in the morning. It's like, oh, my God, this day can't be longer. So, you know, after, you know, a couple of days of that and, and a couple of days of not showering <laughs> and just reflecting and thinking about everything you went through. Um, I, I actually golfed with Jerry Hairston and Aaron Boone. Uh, we were neighbors and uh, they kept pushing me to be on TV. And at the time they're both were excelling on TV. Aaron Boone obviously speaks well and Jerry's doing a heck of a job with the Dodger network. So I go to LA just to see how it works with Jerry Harrison. And they had me on in a segment and uh, I guess Bardia might've saw one of our bosses at Fox and they're like, look, man, we want you to do an audition. And I'm like, okay. So I go on there with Kevin Burkhart. Uh, I forgot who else I was with. And, uh, you know, just had fun with the audition. And, you know, I know I was a mile a minute, but they liked the way I, I really looked at the game and was able to break down the game. But I just couldn't believe I was on the TV set when I was supposed to just go to L.A. and hang out. <laughs> so, I mean, it literally happened that fast. And then all of a sudden I'm on TV seven of the next 10 days. So I'm supposed to come home for the weekend. But next thing you know, I'm not home for two weeks. And my wife's like, how did you go to LA and just get a job like that? So, I mean, it really was this baptism by fire, just throwing me in, in the pool and just trying to learn on my own. But just like baseball, and you know this, I mean, we have a great staff at Fox and they saw that I wanted to be good and wanted to work hard and they put their arm around me and it's, it's really been a great relationship since. Well, I got to tell you, Dontrell, uh, if anybody out there is an aspiring broadcaster, let me just tell them, it doesn't typically go that well and that easily for most people. <laughs> <laughs> so credit Nothing to goes you. That well. No credit. Goes that well. Credit to you, and yeah. uh, not only for your broadcasting career, but your perseverance, your mental strength, uh, your ability physically to do what you were able to do. Boy, two-time All-Star World Series champion, a Rookie of the Year, uh, and tolerant of of swings. Yeah, that right there is an award. <laughs> you know what? He's one of my, and I'm not just saying this. And 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 guys talk about him all the time. At Fox, he's one of the favorite personalities. You know, when when I get a chance to work with him, it's fun because he has a great energy. He's always prepared, and he really wants to do well. He wants you to do well, which is a rarity in this world. You know, everybody wants themselves to be successful, but to have your fellow man be successful and, and because of your hand and because you're setting each other up, the banter is fun. And so for me and Swings, you know, we hit it off really fast. And and you know, I respect his talent. I've gotten to watch him and listen to his cadence, which helped in uh, watching him in San Diego. But this, you know, razzing him on the golf course, man, and he, he, <laughs> he's turned into a little scratch golfer. So it's hard to follow him on the, on the golf course. But he's a great human being. And, you know, working with him at Fox, I see why he's had that success and that longevity in the big leagues as well. I'll tell you this. I appreciate that, Train. And here's the thing, guys, and, and the listeners out there. Uh, don't sleep on Train's golf game, too, because that's been, that's been a nice void, and you're starting to see the passion that he had with, with baseball come out 
in other avenues. And uh, honestly, buddy, we, we appreciate all the time that you've spent with us. No problem. Thank you guys for having me, man. It's yeah. been a blast. A couple of great guys for sure. And uh, wish you, uh, Dontrell, all the success in the world, whether it's at Fox or wherever else the world takes you. Dontrell Willis. By the way, uh, quote of the day for my money on this one, no one wants to see a World Series ring at Chick-fil-A. <laughs> <laughs> Facts too. Unless you're trying to get a couple extra nuggets, then I'm sure that works too. <laughs> Wait, you earned it. Use it to your advantage. <laughs> Thank you guys. Appreciate it, man. You got it. Don Willis. Well, that's all the time we have for now. But if you had as much fun as we did, we hope you'll go ahead and hit the subscribe button where you usually download your podcast from. It could be Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you like. We're just glad to have you aboard and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.